I'm Ariel Basca, host of Ride the Omnibus. Today, our conversation takes us in a number of different directions, from the boroughs of New York City, to diversity and inclusion in literature, to the good-bad binary of racism. While there are some spoilers for the book ahead, we hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I am joined by Alex. Hello. And Brian. Hello. To talk about N.K. Jemisin's The City We Became. Uh, N.K. Jemisin is a sci-fi and fantasy writer who has the distinction of winning the Hugo Award for Best Novel three years in a row for all three novels in the Broken Earth trilogy starting in 2016. Additionally, that achievement in 2016 made her the first African-American to win Best Novel. Uh, she has just won the Hugo Award this year for Emergency Skin in the Best Novelette category. She spends a lot of time talking about her debt to Octavia Butler, another author that we are talking about on this podcast. But I am so incredibly happy that we have an opportunity to, to talk about N.K. Jemison. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Pleased to be here. We have two people who are pretty intimately familiar with different aspects of New York who are joining me on this podcast because I myself uh, have never lived in New York. I don't really know anyone who lives in New York particularly well other than um, a certain someone on this podcast. This particular story has five avatars who represent the different boroughs of New York City. And each of these avatars are supposed to kind of come together as a team of superheroes. And there is a very specific way that each of them is represented. And it's almost American God style, would you say? Yeah, sure. I mean, they they actually do talk about them as being city gods. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like it's somewhat unique. Very unique and interesting concept. Um, it, it just took me aback a little to kind of see where it went in terms of how she chose to define each character of the individual boroughs. My mother is from New York City. Mm-hmm. She grew up in Queens. And my mother-in-law is from Long Island. And about half my family on my mother's side still lives in New York City. Mm-hmm. My granddad on my mother's side, after escaped from Hungary, came to Astoria. My grandmother on my mother's side, after escaping from Austria, grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. But that's, uh, and then my, my dad uh, lived in New York City for a while working for, for the MTA. But, but then uh, up until, I guess, nine, year, nine ten years ago, uh, that was the amount of experience I had with the city. I moved to, um, moved to New York City for a PhD. Uh, in neuroscience, I lived in Manhattan for for five years, and then moved out to Brooklyn. So I have some experience with the city. Certain things ring true or don't quite ring true for me, but maybe I have less uh, less of a deep background in the city. 
one of the things that um, Jimison says in her, her acknowledgments at the end is that she moved to New York in 07 and that as a teenager, she visited in the summer. And that kind of mirrors something of my experience. We visited New York frequently when I was growing up. I spent um, a few weeks up there in the summer sometimes. More, more than half of New York City residents uh, weren't even born in New York State. Right. There's a lot of immigrants from other countries. There's a lot of transplants from, from other states. Yep. Uh, people, people's families live in New York, leave and come back. I, I think New York has a very fluid identity. And uh, for instance, my neighborhood is traditionally an Italian neighborhood. And it's now largely a Chinese neighborhood, but there's people of all backgrounds, lots of immigrants, lots of people from other parts of the city. And I think that's fairly typical. It's a very diverse city. I, I think only 33% white. Well, there's actually a lot of segregation, which is kind of touched on by the book. There's also a lot of very mixed neighborhoods and it's becoming more and more mixed. And I, I, I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, what's being talked about as the enemy uh, gentrification is not, not as much the enemy as, as the book sort of and, and a lot of people around here believe um, where, where segregated neighborhoods are becoming less segregated. People are, are living with other people more. And I think that's a positive thing. And I'm happy to justify my perhaps unpopular <laughs> opinion here. But I, I, I think that a lot of that diversity makes it very difficult to personify the boroughs because the boroughs aren't what New York is made up of. New York is made up of neighborhoods and their neighborhoods in Brooklyn that are more like other neighborhoods in the Bronx or more like neighborhoods in Queens. Uh, there's neighborhoods in Queens that are like Staten Island or, or Long Island. Since we start with Manhattan as okay. kind of our first entree into this book, I mean, we've got Sao Paulo and Manhattan as the first characters that we meet. All three of us, I'm sure, have spent a lot of time in Manhattan. I've definitely spent way more time in Manhattan than anywhere else in New York City. But when you think of the way that he was portrayed in this book, in terms of choice of gender, race, personality, did you say, oh, yeah, that's Manhattan? I was a little unclear on, on his race and behavior. It changed a lot through the book. I think a few times it said that he was black, but earlier in the book, it said that he was not really black. Maybe that ambiguity is on, on purpose. I don't know. Or maybe I was just not understanding. So I, I, I think what happens is that at the beginning of the book, he's got amnesia, this kind of selective amnesia where he doesn't remember yeah. who he is. And so the only knowledge that he has of who he is is what people see in him. And he seems very racially ambiguous. And as he goes through the book, he seems to develop sort of a sense of, okay, no, I'm definitely black. I just happen to, and this is an experience I know from the, from being black is that there, depending on where you are, you may look a certain way. So like if you're hanging out with your Hispanic friends, some people who are black look more Hispanic. Like maybe um, he even mentions uh, Punjab at one point where some people look at him and they see, oh, well, you know, you look like maybe you're part Punjabi or part Chinese. And it's just the, it's the, the blend of African features that a lot of African-Americans have that lend to some of that flexibility. And I think that 
she's trying to sort of drive at at the deeper history of Manhattan. You know, it's brought up the uh, mass graves that were found in Manhattan, the history um, with, of Black people in Manhattan going back hundreds of years. But for the type of story it is, it's an interesting choice. For me, this is probably going to come up a lot. When I think most of us think of Manhattan, we think of the way Hollywood portrays Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like something along the lines of like Futurama with a guy in like a power suit with the white collar and the stripes. And, you know, he's like some kind of business douche. And instead, we get this African-American guy who's come to Manhattan for some purpose, who lives with a roommate who is trans and is he also happens to be bisexual, maybe gay. And that sort of was an interesting mix. Do you think, though, that that captures the really rich, actually, Black history of Manhattan? I mean, Manhattan has been a cultural center in in terms of African-American culture, especially Harlem. Right. There's the Harlem Renaissance. Malcolm X, he didn't he wasn't born in Manhattan, but he became he became Malcolm X in Manhattan. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the like interesting parts of the book is that that's not what you exactly think of when most people think Manhattan. But I felt like all of those, the tidbits that made his backstory, even with his amnesia richer, were just shoehorned in there. Mm. Like at every turn, like she was trying to, trying to just pack more of this background in there. Cause, and I realized this because we may be a fairly educated audience in that respect. Like we may know those things. People who are picking up this book in the airport may not. And so she may have to kind of go there, but I felt like at every turn, she's trying to like shoehorn in this deep amount of history and knowledge that to, and it made the book like it's, uh, there's some really hard eye rolls for me. Like I'm reading the section and it's like, Oh, okay. We're shoot. We're just going to pack it in right now. And it, it kind of took away from the book. The boroughs are really complicated and it's not, it's not yes. so simple. There's, there's a lot of history. I don't know. The one thing that got me was when earlier in the story, she was talking about an alleyway in, in Manhattan. Uh, like, where's an alleyway, alleyway in yeah. Manhattan? I thought she was making a joke about that. Hey, we don't have alleyways. I, I'm pretty well, sure. She later she says that she later says that there's no alleyways, but there's an actual alleyway earlier <laughs> on. And I'm, I've been all over Manhattan. I've biked all over the city. I've walked all over the city. Um, I think I've seen a alleyway in my history here. <laughs> saw like, the same one, one she saw, I guess. <laughs> Maybe, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't in Midtown. So, yeah, I definitely you know, haven't ever seen one in Midtown. I've definitely traveled through Midtown. Midtown Manhattan, not so much. And and I think there are a few few things that pull me out here. Yeah. Maybe it's because Jemison moved to the city around when I did, and we haven't lived here that long. <laughs> But one of the things about Manhattan that I thought was interesting that I thought did sort of make me think about Manhattan was his possessiveness. Mm. Like he mm-hmm. immediately, he tries to become yeah. the one that brings the group together. He tries to take the lead because mm-hmm. that's what most people think of as New York as Manhattan. Um, and so I thought that was sort of an interesting way to look at it. But the but Brooklyn thought, character would have probably been a better <laughs> leader. Yeah, I think she would have been. And I feel like, I feel like, Brooklyn and Queens are almost secondary characters and the, like the very Man- much yeah. Manhattan and Bronx and Staten Island kind of have their stories more fleshed out and are more present. Like Brooklyn has all the resources essentially in the story, but they don't seem to be as 
real as the other characters. I thought that the 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 Becky or Karen or whatever that was was the avatar of of the sort of alien was was actually pretty good. I mean these 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 people are real in real life and it is sort of a it is sort of representative of culture clashes that can happen when when people live together but don't necessarily want to live together. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it was it was talking about people who have always been a part of the city as sort of invaders and people always move around the city and people always move in various places that doesn't make them invaders unless they are dismissive of the places that they're living and 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 scared of the people around them and you know uh, which happens i mean we just recently here in bay ridge we we had signs going up talking about um Asian people as dirty and invaders and and things like that and it's like this this neighborhood has has had a strong Asian presence for decades and decades we're considered one of the china one of the three chinatowns in in New York City and there are still like people here who are who are looking at others as invaders but there there's sort of a flip side of that where if if somebody who's a white professional uh, moves to a, a more like black or brown professional neighborhood because they can afford it better. That doesn't make them an invader. It's what they do that that makes them a, a good member of the neighborhood or an invader. I feel. I don't know. Do maybe I'm speaking from a place of privilege here. I don't know. Well, I mean. The the example you brought up makes me think of some of the examples I've seen here in D.C. I live in Arlington, just outside of D.C. And, you know, you would have, like, in some situations, you would, like you said, you'd have white people who are gentrifiers, they move in, and then suddenly, like, the Asian people who were there already, the newcomers, the ones who are going, well, hey, those people are dirty, like, all of a sudden, as if the Asians suddenly haven't been there forever, and it's like, why don't you go back to Asia or whatever it is? And that's the attitude here in DC. We had something that happened. I think it was last summer where a newer building that attracted professionals had gone in and it was in an area where uh, there was a cell phone store that played go-go music on the street. And go-go music is a very much a DC thing, love it or hate it. And someone in that building called the owner, the main company of that cell phone store and said, Hey, can you tell them to stop playing that music? I don't like it. I don't want to hear that kind of music. And the I mean, that's company, reasonable if it's two in the morning, but right, like. the business is closed at two in the morning. <laughs> but the corporate head office called and told this guy who'd owned this like uh, franchise of this like I don't know Boost Mobile, whatever it was, for like decades. Hey, you you can't play go go music anymore. And he's and, been playing that for years. Right, decades. Like, the reaction was swift. Like, people turned out on the streets. They brought huge speakers. They had, like, a go-go festival in that, like, neighborhood or something. Like, but it was, the, it was someone who came into the neighborhood and was new and was like, well, we don't like that. We don't want that. And it's you come in, like you said, some people, not everyone, obviously, but they come in, they gentrify, and then they say, well, I don't like the things that are here. I want the things I'm familiar with. And I think that Jemison does a very good job of demonstrating that through some of the other uh, avatars of the woman in white 
mm-hmm. when you know you mentioned the the part in Inswood Park with the woman who tries oh. to claim that he and his roommate are yeah, yeah are doing something inappropriate, but later when Sao Paulo shows up, there's all these people there and they're having like they're drinking wine and Starbucks and they're they're talking about oh if you know like it's like the little the little things that you hear that make you roll your eyes. Like there's something like, Oh, if you want to get authentic Dominican food, Oh, you go here. Like as if they've discovered this new land that no one's ever been to somehow before, but people are there. And now that they've gotten there, it's, it's arrived. And I, I got, I thought that part came through if sometimes hokey, because I felt like the credit card thing, it made sense for Manhattan, but it also felt a little corny. Yeah. But it worked. But it, and it works better than, say, some of the things that the Bronx did. Mm-hmm. I, I think we should move on to talking about uh, MC Free now. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be a good transition point. Uh, as long as we're kind of talking about the different bros and how they've evolved. Um, she's the one who has specifically been talked about in the book in terms of her evolution from being a hip-hop artist to then becoming this councilwoman in the nice suit and high heels. One thing, and this this I feel like applies to specifically to Brooklyn, but um, this is very much N.K. Jemison's vision of New York. It's it's the New York that she grew up with. It's MC Free is sort of like the New York I grew up with. Like my mom's from Queens. She's from Hollis, Queens. And if you are familiar with the history of rap, Run DMC, LL Cool J, they're all from Hollis, Queens. She went to high school with some of these guys. And so like the image of New York she's invoking by talking about MC Free is this sort of this like callback to like the New York of the eighties and nineties. But there were also a lot of rappers from, from other boroughs, like uh, for sure. I mean, hip hop was potentially born in the Bronx. Um, a lot of big hip hop artists uh, are, well, actually I can think of one big hip hop artist from Staten Island. Uh, well, group Wu-Tang Clan is from Staten Island. Um, and of course you have uh, a lot from Brooklyn as well mm-hmm. um so i i don't know i in, in, including one of the uh, including a jewish uh, uh rap group uh the beastie boys is from from brooklyn i believe when i was reading this book like i really i was thinking to myself i was like why didn't she just make all the boroughs rappers <laughs> what? that would have been a good concept and 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 staten island could have been could have been like rizza or something because this whole this whole book is just Netflix like bait. It's like she's crying out, "Please give me a Netflix special." <laughs> There's a Broken Earth. Uh, someone, I think TBS or TNT brought the rights to Broken Earth to make that into a show. Hmm. That's gonna take forever. You could turn this thing around overnight. This is like an easy win. And so I was reading this book very cynically, thinking, "Oh, this is totally gonna be her." N.K. Jemison's like Netflix special. Let me ask you this. Would it be a bad Netflix special? As long as she doesn't write the rap, it would be good. Because I felt like <laughs> Brooklyn's rhymes were, were a little They weak, were. Like, oh, my gosh. They were so, like... Eh. She's a sci-fi writer. A I know. I can't, I can't rap either. So I was like, <laughs> okay. You need a little help on the rhymes. But, like, 
I thought the concept, like the, like when I imagined uh, Brooklyn's rap battle when she's fighting the exes or whatever they were, mm-hmm. was a good. Like, I could visualize it. I felt like I was there, rapping skills aside. But I kept thinking to myself, like, where's like the Beastie Boys and Wu Tang and like where like it'd be such a fun concept to represent all the boroughs with rappers. Like that would have been hilarious. But I also felt like Brooklyn just gets like, she's another example of you can't really represent such a large group of people with one person. And yeah. again, like she just strikes me as like, this is NK Jemison's experience of New York. This is what she's comfortable with. And that's okay. But it doesn't encapsulate, like you said, like the Hasidic Jews, like people from Flatbush, like, you know, the Park Slope people, like, I was waiting for like some kind of Park Slope Karen to show up, like all those kind of things. Which is was... like a whole thing. Like yes. I've been I've been to community meetings in Park Slope and it's just it's a special special kind of people, the the, the brownstone park slope people. Yeah. And he's been there for years. Our current na- our, our current mayor is granted a transplant, but he's very brownstone park slope. Like, that is his whole thing. There's no hint of Brownstone Park Slope there. And it's the same thing with Queens. Like, a lot of the cops, they live in, in Queens. Yeah. yeah. And they live on the, the far outer edges of Queens where it's single-family homes and everybody mm-hmm. drives everywhere. And that's a very, uh, like, like Whitestone or something. And that, that, that's a very different Queens from, I don't know. Um, the immigrant up-and-comer image that she presents. Which definitely exists. Yeah. But uh, there but there's also the, you know, white privilege that exists there too as a space. So one of the problems I had with how she, she does the representations, like I said, like I, I keep thinking this is how she sees New York and she's trying to push a conversation. Is is that like it really excludes white people from the conversation altogether, which I thought was odd. Like, because it doesn't do it in a positive way. Like, there's no ally. Like, I didn't specifically have a problem with all of these representations, four out of five, or five out of six being people of color. I thought that was great. But I felt like there was no ally. And then, like, the unintended or maybe intended consequence is that essentially every white person that shows up in the book is is evil. And I was just like, okay. I'm going to defend her here, actually. I'm going to defend her here because like, as you said, this is her view of New York and maybe that's her lived experience. Like a lot of times, a lot of times um, the, the, the white population of New York sort of clusters into white neighborhoods and doesn't really even interact with the more diverse New York. And maybe I'm even guilty of that, even though I'm living in a diverse neighborhood and like, going all over the city and, you know, involved in, in various advocacy things. But when a lot of, a lot of a group doesn't interact and then a lot of the people who do interact are the worst of that group, Mm. you know, maybe that's the way it is, you know? And, and that's clearly not the whole story because like, if you look at, for instance, the BLM protests, not the leaders, but a large proportion of the people out protesting are white. Mm Right. Right. Um, so there's plenty of allies. There's there's plenty of people who are happy to sit down for a meal with people from different backgrounds and and hear their stories. 
but there's also those people who who used calling the police as a weapon against people yep. of color mm-hmm. and who ha- who have no respect for the neighborhoods that they're in and who who weaponize their their whiteness and and weaponize white thing. tears like the Karen in the park and you know one thing I thought was missing was is that the, the I felt like there there should have been a character who was white that either was an ally or like a misguided ally. They think they're mm-hmm. doing the right thing, yeah. but really they're, they're just playing into the larger picture. I felt like that was like an avenue that, that was missing. Cause I mean, yeah. you don't, or somebody like, who's, or somebody who's like not necessarily a good guy, but has been living there forever. Like right. in our neighborhood, we have like a large Italian population, which is frankly kind of racist, but they've <laughs> been there for 50 years you know they're they're not an invader no they're they're, you know i i guess for me like when i was reading it too is like it made me like bring up the italians made me think of like sort of like hollywood's new york you know like you think you think about the cab drivers as like forget about it and And the the godfather which is like no longer a thing like your cab driver is his name is likely muhammad right right but that, but that in itself too is like. I mean, Hollywood's kind of picked up on that. But like when I think of like New York of the eighties, it's like you know, you it's like stereotypes about Italians, Jewish delis, like you mentioned, um, something maybe Chinatown. Like I was really surprised one of the avatars wasn't wasn't Chinatown yeah. or something, or like a, a Jewish American princess from Long Island or something didn't jump into the mix, but. It's not a it's not a cartoon series. Like she's trying to like have a conversation about about New York. But like you said earlier, Brian, there are so many different groups in New York and everyone sort of has like their experiences of New York and like what sounds familiar to them and what resonates with them. And this is what resonates with her and I respect that. But having a large family that is in New York and then being someone who's taken a lot of pop culture, I was kind of wondering where those like touchstones for people, or, or or why Queens or the Bronx aren't aren't the rapper, right? Right, why Queens or Bronx? But can we talk about the Bronx though? Because yeah. I have problems yeah. with the Bronx. Okay, okay, <laughs> let's hear it about the Bronx. I have families in the Bronx, but so I get so the Bronx is first certified as a older Native American woman who is, I guess, a lesbian? Yeah. I, did, I, yeah. Did, did I get that right? But who looks ethnically ambiguous and right. passes for lots of different ethnicities at different times. and As many as many of us do, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. Uh, but I guess for me, and like this is where I feel guilty, is, is by the time we're getting introduced to, to the Bronx, like we, we've met New York, who is a a gay black man. We've met Manhattan who was possibly a biracial gay black man, or maybe just a gay black man. And now we meet the, we meet, we meet the Bronx. And now we have a almost 70 year old native American lesbian artist. And I'm going to, I felt like we hit kind of the trifecta there. You think it may be too much of a mirror of the author, not a mirror of the author, just, at this point, like, it's like all these characters, like, if you were going to write up, like, sheet, like you know, character sheets, like some role-playing game, and you're going to a lot points, she's got so many points stacked in the Bronx <laughs> that it's almost not believable anymore. 
and the Bronx and, and the part where the Bronx like begins to connect with her power and she doesn't do Native American dance I pretty much about lost it because <laughs> I was just like okay wait a second you, you've tied this woman she's a Len, Lenape yeah Lenape which is okay. one of the major tribes but like how many people actually are Lenape and Bronx, right? Well, but the her connection to the area comes from her historical roots. So, like, her people left the New York area, Trail of Tears, went to Oklahoma, got it. So she has this, like, very, like, a long-standing cultural tie to the area that dates back before, you know, the city. So she's, she can claim that. But I felt like when we get to representation about Native Americans and like, I can't speak for Native Americans. Like, I'm like 1% Native American, if that. It becomes this sort of catch-all thing. And it's like a very tricky thing to talk about and write about because, oh, she reaches back into her, like, her her roots and her spirituality. And, oh, I'm going to dance and become one with the earth. And, okay, I think we just hit cliche overload for me at this mm. point. Do you and think it that just, it would have been better as a co-written book where, where she actually found people from different boroughs and from different backgrounds? Sort of like stories of the boroughs. Yeah, and you would have like the the general creative direction, but could could write it in an authentic way towards where they're coming from. Because I I do think like she's she's working at a disadvantage here, trying Mm -hmm. to represent people who are completely different from her. Well, I think in general, everyone who is a writer has to write about experiences that are not their own, unless they're only going to write memoir. For the rest of their lives. But so. when you're trying to when you're trying to make a representation of a group of people, it's hard when you're not that group of people. I think that, I mean, it would have been an interesting concept to write it with different people from like different boroughs and backgrounds. But I mean, I'm happy that she's tried to write people yeah. from different experiences. Like, I, like for instance, as a black person who reads sci-fi, I get really fed up when I see someone. And that kind of goes to the sad puppies argument, sort of when someone's a writer and they go, oh, but yeah, I don't feel comfortable writing about characters of colors. I don't know their experience. And I'm just like, we're human beings. If you're writing in the distant future, who the fuck cares what color the character it is? But, you know, I get tired of reading about a ton of white people. I just want to feel like we're still present in the future. The authors have have a sort of responsibility to talk to people from that background, get them to review the book and make sure that they're not too far off. I think yeah. for you me know? with the Bronx, like, I think you're right. Like you have a responsibility to sort of try to speak to truth or do, and I think she did her research. I just felt like that was a stretch. I was like, wow, okay, you found a unicorn. I mean, and granted all these borough people have to be essentially unicorns, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're special, but when you get to the how the Bronx is portrayed and her background, like her attitude is right. Like that that felt like the Bronx to me. But when you get to her in that book and you've already we've already dealt with Manhattan's roommate. Yeah. The trans man. Yeah. Vietnamese British. Yeah. And trans and speaks like a chav or something. Like that that part really pulled me out, but then I felt like when you get to this character, it snapped my believability. Like it's like suddenly I'm like, okay, wait a minute, yeah. like what are we doing here to the Bronx? And like now she's going to dance because she's got this innate connection with the earth because she's Native American. I'm just kind of like, come on, like yeah, 
I feel a, a smidge insulted somehow. When the alt artists come into her gallery, this group of obviously alt-right people protesting the whole concept of diversity, etc. It was very clear that N.K. Jemison was sending up the sad puppies who you already referenced there. And just to explain to people who may not be aware, the sad puppies were actually an unsuccessful alt-right anti-diversity voting campaign that intended to influence the outcome of the Hugo Awards. It was actually started by uh, Larry Correa in 2013, who wanted to nominate his own novel and suggested slates that would benefit him and other white male authors as much as possible. Um, The irony is that to this day, N.K. Jemisin actually credits the sad puppies with splitting the vote to give her her first Hugo Award in 2016 for the first of the Broken Earth trilogy. But when you look at the characterization of everybody, it seems like she deliberately wrote this book to piss off the sad puppies. Is that such a bad thing, though? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying when Alex is saying that she, you know, went, you know, on the character sheet... I mean, it really is literally step by step, every individual diverse trait that would piss off one of the members of that group, somebody has in this book. To be clear, I really liked that scene. I thought that scene was great. Okay. And I, I, I don't know. I, I liked that scene. I, I thought it was a really good representation of the all right. And I thought that... Uh, I know. I like the alt-right part. I think we all agree that the alt-right part absolutely worked. I'm just saying that when I got to that part, it made me rethink the characterizations a little bit. But I I did think her send-up of the sad puppies as these alt-right artists. Artists. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Their only only good piece was the one written by the intergalactic or interdimensional invader, right? Right. Uh which I, I kind of enjoyed. I think it's good that she was able to kind of get that jab at them. And I, I enjoyed that part, but I just felt like at some point it was just an interesting reading. And I think you make a good point here. I was reading it. I'm just thinking, okay, like, wait a minute. Almost every character in this, in this book now is a member of what we jokingly call in my house, the Burger King kids club. And the Burger King Kids Club is a thing from the 90s where they had like all the yeah. characters and the, they're, they're diverse. But there's like, you know, back in the day when you wanted to have diversity on a show, you know, you usually had a minority character. And then there was that character that was in a wheelchair. It was always like yeah. the kid wheelie yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You get someone who embodies three or four characteristics. It's like you've checked the box and now you can move on because you, hey, hey, diversity. And like she packs the whole story full of like the Burger King Kids Club diversity kid. Which is like, you make a good point. Maybe she did it to, to tick them off. As a reader, it was just kind of like, okay, wait a second. It just like, it snapped me out of like my reading when I got to the Bronx. And I was like... It's it hard just, to do justice to every characteristic. Yes. If, if, you're, if you're packing in all the characteristics. But the odd thing about the Bronx is, is that like, she's not exactly she you know she she identifies in her later years as a lesbian but she's got an ex oh she's got a a deceased ex-husband she's got a kid not that obviously lesbians have children 
but it was just interesting seeing her evolution in her past like hey you know like i i did get married and we both decided that actually we were gay and we had a kid together and i identified i'm i'm a butch dyke and it was just an interesting journey just sort of like with manhattan was shoehorned in there and it would have been nice to have that like time to explore the background without mm-hmm. it feeling quite so rushed cuz like i came away feeling like wait a minute you said this character is a lesbian and if she's showing up at the stonewall riots she's probably been a lesbian, a lesbian for, a, for a long time yeah yeah she you know she had this whole veneer of at least marrying someone else and going through the motions and so it's like this seems like a very complex character that we're not doing exact justice to because we're rushing through it do you feel that the villain was done wrong in that it put too much time pressure on the story and forced forced the story to rush as opposed to actually fleshing out the characters i think hmm, i don't think the villain was done wrong i think that we sort of really delve into the backgrounds of some characters and then not other ones for the the sake of the story, but a lot happens and she does a lot more uh, telling, I feel like, than showing. Cause like everyone has these like, yeah, these, these like reverie moments where like, Oh, and now I'm going to remember all these things that make my personality, but we're not sh- showing that personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sort of do with the Bronx and Manhattan and Brooklyn, but like, in Staten Island, but we don't really show it. It's a lot more as like it's being described. And I felt like that was sort of a a weakness in the book because they sound like interesting characters. And maybe it could have been arranged differently to get that background, especially with the just the way that everyone I'm not gonna say they're all so diverse, but it was just kind of like at some point I sat there and I did the math and I was like, wait, four out of six of the avatars are or LGBTQ. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's an interesting way to think of New York. Because New York is definitely an interesting place. Like, historically, lots of people who were who were LGBT would go to New York to find themselves in freedom. So I get that. But it was just sort of interesting to see it from the perspective, being written about from the perspective of people of color and how it's dealt with in their stories. And it, But it all just seems so crammed in there. But... I liked some of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to quite calibrate exactly what you like about the portrayals in some sense when there's so much that's positive in terms of what she's trying to do. And there are just aspects that don't quite work for you, but you want to recognize the whole as being greater than the sum of its parts in some sense. Well, I feel like there's a lot of good parts. It's just that I don't know if it makes a com- quite a complete whole. Okay. Like, I like the parts, like, and I was like, I want more of these parts, but how does this work in the whole picture? But gotcha. the, the uh, woman in white, the monster, like, that was an, an interesting creature. Brian, you would ask, like, if I thought it was done badly i thought it was good but the thing i didn't like is that we're leaning on lovecraft here yeah and that she has to go out of her way to say well this is like alt artists like this is lovecraftian bullshit or hey this is a lovecraftian monster or you could write about it and like that felt like sort of like a shortcut to mm-hmm. me but yeah 
Well, I also thought that it was her trying to say clearly that this particular writer that a lot of people in the sci-fi genre like to venerate is someone that should not be venerated and morally gatekeep in a way while at the same time not being particularly descriptive. I mean, and and the thing about Lovecraft is like he, he was obviously a virulently racist and homophobic person, even by the standards of his time. Mm -hmm. But he also made recognizable contributions to, to the art of literature. And you can't necessarily separate that, but there, I mean, that doesn't invalidate the art as long as you're aware that it comes from a place of xenophobia, ignorance, fear. Which is a whole other thing that that HBO series Lovecraft Country is going to be getting into. I'm curious Um, to see how that turns out. I am too. And, you know, and I think it's interesting to see that repositioned with Lovecraft stories from a Black perspective. But... I, it, it is interesting how she calls out Lovecraft in particular here. But I, I think the big themes are fear of the other and fear of the self, right? And I feel like those should also be themes when you're talking about a city. Mm-hmm. Bad things that may happen in your neighborhood, fear of, of invaders from other neighborhoods moving in and making your neighborhood unlivable. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that was really... Oh, that was, was in that there. Really? That was in there but with I mean, Island. Was it, was, Staten but, Island is interesting. Yeah. yeah. But is it is it actually representative of Staten Island? Because Staten Island is more I think more diverse than that than that representation. I think it's absolutely more diverse. It's just that NK Jemison was trying to portray someone out of these avatars as being white and maybe potentially somewhat relatable and yet wrong. I don't know how relatable she was. Well, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) You know, you, you think when you first meet her that you might have some sympathy for her somewhat, maybe just because of her circumstances. And then I don't know. I feel like I've met her. Oh, I I know I've I've met met her. her. I know I've met her. I know. The question is whether she's Staten Island. She's certainly some people on Staten Island. Yeah. But is she Staten Island? But she's some people on every borough. Yeah, I mean, she's some people in my area of Brooklyn. Yeah. She's she's lots of people in Manhattan. Right now, the the Upper West Side is freaking out about homeless people being housed in hotels and how it's it's destroying. Yeah, but it's more now because because the city is trying to oh relieve relieve pressure on 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 homeless shelters where social distancing is is impossible because they're horrible places. Yeah, uh, putting these people up in hotels like they're humans or something. There's a, there's a certain like subset of New York Post reading Upper West Siders are freaking out about like it's going to destroy the neighborhood their kids aren't safe there's they're they're all child molesters and they're all druggies and and they're gonna they're gonna attack me and whatever and that's that's very much the staten island character right Mm -hmm. but they're on the upper west side they're not on staten island they've never they've probably never been to staten island but 
there right? are those people in Staten Island too. Oh yeah, definitely. And who definitely do think of Manhattan as that godless place across the Yeah, and 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 when I think about like the 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 police benevolent benevolent association or whatever <clears throat> the PBA I think of their members as her dad. I thought her dad was interesting as it was sort of like for me I was reading the the dad character and I thought like does someone like this really still exist in the 21st century? Oh, yes. Like yes they do. I, I know they do, but it's just <laughs> it's interesting to see it and you're just I'm thinking like wow, like this is like a cartoon racist. I know they exist. I've met them, but it's just sort of like it's it was an interesting choice and that the fact that he controls her life so much. There's that part where she sits with her mom and her mom talks about how she got into Juilliard on scholarship yeah. apparently, got an abortion and then decided, oh, well, you know, I felt guilty and that, that just blew my mind. I was just like, no one says that. Like, I feel like Juilliard would have come looking for you and said, hey, <laughs> you did get a scholarship to Juilliard. Come on, like, we'll, we'll take care of this. That's but, not how Juilliard works, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Juilliard. It's like Hogwarts of music or something. Like, but I, I, I had a hard time buying that these things happen. I, mean, I know they do. And that like her father was able to so completely control her life at 30. She still somehow managed to be so ignorant. And I, I like I said, I know those people, but it was just an interesting how narrow-minded she was in the story compared mm-hmm. to the other avatars. And they immediately come together, but they also don't think about her until like... Yeah, she's an afterthought. Yeah. There, there so, was there was a there was an element to truth of the the, the horrible murmurings from from the, the the woman in white trying to right. yeah. turn Staten Island to her side. Yeah, am I the only one who had the sense that after her mom told her the whole anecdote about Juilliard, that there was this thought that maybe she could actually turn out to be a sympathetic character and actually change and perhaps after realizing how horrible her father's choices for her have been all along that she would go along and join with the other avatars as one happy family that was going to happen yeah when i read that part i thought okay so she's heard her mom's story and she's going to have the courage to get on that ferry and go to manhattan and find them and yeah i was I was sort of, it was a while before I realized, oh, no, that's that's not going to happen. She's just going to stay separated and from them, which was very uh, an odd choice. Actually, I, I liked that choice. I'll be very honest with you, because I think that took a lot of bravery on N.K. Jemisin's part to make it clear that characters that you may feel some sympathy with and who you may think might be on a positive trajectory cannot overcome their upbringing and cannot overcome the prejudice that has been hammered into them for 30 years to suddenly change enough to actually be brave and make a risky decision that actually would further them. I mean, that's a good, that's a good decision for storytelling. I think it's also important as a distinction to make when you think about people who are white allies I think what her point is when she wrote this book, she was going for kind of the same thing that Jordan Peele was going for in Get Out, 
she deliberately didn't want there to be any positive representations of white people per se. But like, is that is that a good choice in basically an advocacy piece? Well, that's the question. But I want to kind of have you guys answer me this. Would you consider it a better piece if she had chosen to join in and just reverse, you know, 30 years of inculcation of racism and anti-immigrant propaganda? I think it would have been a bit more hopeful at the end if maybe she was willing to just take the step mm-hmm. towards it. Like if the book had ended with her taking a step towards joining them or recognizing some of the things, but it's, it's like, she's never presented that choice. Mm-hmm. Like she never really seems to get that opportunity to either learn more about the other avatars or venture from New York. She just seems to like double down on her. You think that's the point? Uh, yeah, I think that very well could be the point that she that she has decided to double down and, like you said, like keep her her ignorance. It could have been an opportunity for her to overcome her fear, but maybe, like you said, the point is is that it, it's not that easy. You don't just like maybe she needs more to take the step. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you all sorts of stories from high school. I went to a predominantly white high school, and the stupid things people said to me then, I can only hope they don't believe now, twenty years later. But who knows? Well, I thought people, I thought people were changing up until, well, up until partway through the Obama administration when people were, were still going at him clearly only because he was black. Right. And then I, I further, I further lost my, my, my faith in other people around me when, when Trump got elected and the things, things around that, I mean, Maybe people were being overly hopeful about um, discrimination and racism and things like that in the U.S. Well, I was just thinking that, like, you know, one, three million more people voted for Hillary. So that gives me some hope for the future. And But two, only three more million. Only three. But, I mean, I Hillary herself was such a polarizing character. Sure. So many people dislike her, and for sure, like people have come out of the woodworks, they feel empowered to show their dislike and hate. But mostly, more people are going, Wait, this isn't okay, yeah, and this is wrong. And that that's what I I mean, I feel like I have to keep a hope that we're going to move away from that. I, I don't know if we will, but I, I think that there's a lot of Americans who at least want to be better, but there's at least at least a third of Americans who are probably horribly racist. They're okay at the very least with horrible racism. They're okay with disenfranchising people, hating on the poor, um, looking at all people who aren't them as the same, you know? Can I address one thing here though, which is that we're kind of talking about racism as a good, bad binary when it's not really that racism as a whole is a construct that was used to support the privilege of middle and upper income white people. And we talk about it in terms of this good, bad binary of like, no, you're a horrible racist because you yell out slurs and you discriminate in, you know, very clear cut ways and so forth. 
But there are people who are very good people and very well-intentioned who can also be racist too. And I think those are the people who... But I don't, I don't view ra- racism or race, racial bias that way. I mean, I, 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 I view racial bias as something that is unfortunately baked into the human brain where people favor their in-group and well this this don't, is don't, not don't racial other, bias right but 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 i mean i mean the racial bias the, the the system of racism is to prop up that because because one race was in power and um was basically using other races to their ends and didn't see other races as people but the whole the the racial biases are, are i think uh, to some degree, uh, a biological thing that people need to be aware of and overcome and and consciously reject. I agree, but that's kind of not my point. Um, but, but it's part of the book, I think. It is he, part of the book, for sure. But racism is also a part of the book, which is to say that even when Island is not completely 100% under the thumb of the Karen monster or her father, etc. She still has racism inherent in terms of everything that she's grown up with in terms of her systems, etc. But it's and fear and it's othering and it's, it's, it's the all fear, very... It's the othering, it's the marginalization, whether she says something outright or not. And Unfortunately, you know, in our country right now, we have a lot of polarization, but the problem is that both ends of the spectrum are othering each other so much that we're constantly using this good, bad, binary model of racism to call the other side racist, when in fact, there's a lot of space in the middle and there are a lot of people on the liberal and a lot of people on the conservative side who are racist and some of them are trying to do something about it and confront their own privilege and change the status quo. Uh, But there are also people who are not working toward actually changing their privilege. But, but I think the book actually touches on that because like, yeah, that's my point. There's, there's ostensibly liberal people from other boroughs in Staten Island who are being horribly racist yeah. Um, but but when you even say that horribly racist, like that again makes it sound like a good bad binary. But it's definitely a bad thing to do. Even if you do good things when you're racist, it's doing a bad thing. Right? I mean just having treating people badly because of what they are instead of who they are is I think inherently bad right agreed but but this uh, alex feel free to talk i feel like this is a third rail i'm 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 here to absolve you of all your guilt no um, (laughs) no you you don't have to do that alex please god don't do that (laughs) i can't do that but you you guys have good points but i think what she's not showing is an ability to for Staten Island to grow. And I, like you said, I, 
as you talk about it more, maybe it is a conscious decision that she's doing that because historically in literature and pop culture, usually there's like for a character to be redeemable when it comes to, to racism or how they perceive other people, there's usually that grain where they can sort of see the error of their ways. But if she can't see that yet, then how can she grow? Mm-hmm. And for me, I just assume that happens in, in book two or something like that. But it's, it just for me, it comes back to that her father just has hit her so under his thumb that she just never, he, he monitors where she goes, like where she, you know, who she interacts with, who she works with. And that reminds me very much of like other situations that I've heard about where you have people who grew up in households where they saw people who weren't white as inferior. And they talk about this, you know, their parents didn't let them play with other, you know, kids who weren't white. And they kept them away from other people. They decided that they could only go to certain schools because it's almost as if they knew their, their parents knew that if they ever were exposed to more people, that they would eventually change their mind, you know, and decide that other people were not inferior, that there had to be more to the story and they should at least investigate it. And I think that it's, I think for the way Staten Island is written, I don't, I think we need a little bit more to sort of flesh it out because like you said, like Staten Island is fairly diverse. So she would have had to have gone to like what, like an all white Catholic school and then the college of Staten Island, I don't think is all white. I find it very hard that she could have existed in an all white space this whole time and not been exposed to other people. Like this is like an extraordinary effort on her dad's yeah. part, if that's yeah. the case. And that, that I think was sort of like, huh. It made me think, cause I, like I said, I've met people like that. People who ask you like, Oh, is your skin? Like, you know, you meet a kid, like, for example, and they go like, is your skin dirty? Or, and you're like, well, okay, hold on a second. You know, first you're offended. You go, wait, have you, have you really never seen a black person before? And you, you figure it out. But I just kind of wonder, it's like, really, has she somehow managed to exist on Staten Island? But I think there's also a thing where, and I think it's part of the character, where some people, they need to feel like somebody else is inferior so they're not the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, we may have problems, but we're trying. Like, it's not, it's not like the, 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 the godless people in Manhattan and Brooklyn, right? I think maybe there was a neglect of the centrality of those problems. Like the whole thing is I'm not doing great and my community's not doing great. And, and economically we're having trouble. It must be because of those inferior people taking from us. And we're, we're not at the bottom because those other people are inferior. Right. Hmm. And I'm not, I, I I don't know. I feel like a big part of the whole Staten Island dynamic with like editorials that I've read about the other boroughs that were written by Staten Islanders and things like that is an inferiority complex, you know? Um, and it definitely touched on it. Like, well, they're not going to come for you. They don't, they don't care that you exist. Right. So we haven't talked about Queens at all yet. I had some issues with the representation of Queens, but I don't know if anyone else did. My biggest concern was this idea of taking the 
South Asian student immigrant representing the up and coming immigrants within the neighborhood, but then specifically making her good at math. I'm sorry. <laughs> that really cheesed me off. I, but, <laughs> but Ariel, like, like every character in this book is like that. Like, I know, but it is so oh cringy. So that was the one that pushed you over. Like I said, like as a, a teacher, as a artist. teacher, like that, well, because that occurs before Bronx does her dance. Right. So that that was the one that pushed me over first. So I felt like Queens got shortchanged. Totally like got shortchanged. She has she, no personality, really. She's kind of mousy, but like she doesn't have a ton of personality. She seems like more of a secondary or even tertiary character jersey city had more personality it's true queens Um, is the biggest borough in new york right and it's got the most probably diversity of it's just such a diverse borough queens is so big maybe it's hard to hard to personify i don't know i thought that like i didn't mind so much that she was a an immigrant, because I think that of the six avatars, she's the only one that is an immigrant, right? Right, right. Which is sort of odd because, you know, New York has so many immigrants. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting. Like like you said, like, the math was like, okay, really? Yeah. At, like, And it's, every character is like that. But it's, I think you're right that in some ways she's trying to create this diverse group of characters as sort of like a like a thumb up the nose to like the sad puppies and it's great but then she always adds in like this one characteristic that like takes it into like the cliche territory really i felt like hit some some cliche landness especially because like queens doesn't get much other characterization mm-hmm. and she only uses her math well almost i think everyone only uses their powers like what like once essentially yeah except book. for the bronx the bronx right gets to be a a badass in multiple ways. So I feel like there could have been potential to, to the whole math thing. Yeah. As, if they'd had her oh, juice, sure. I mean, she, there's clear ways she could have done a lot more with it, but that never happened. So, and it never became related to her personality really at all. It was just sort of what a characteristic. Did. Um, Queens is an immigrant. She's living there. You know, she it's not clear if she came over as a college student to work, you know, to go to school mm-hmm. and work, or if she immigrated earlier. Because I think one thing that would have been an interesting aspect to talk about is like if she, maybe she had come over as a younger kid living with her aunt and her uncle, and then she was there to like cram and get into one of those highly prized New York high schools. Mm-hmm. that you have to test into. Yeah. And then that would have made her more part of the New York story. And that's been a whole thing lately, by the way. Oh, oh no, I know. I, I follow a lot of the education stuff. And she could have talked about voluntary versus involuntary minorities in the history of New York. And, you know, it, I think that could have been a very interesting conversation to have had she gone there. So I, I agree with you, Alex. I think that's a good point. Because when she when I first read that description, I thought, okay, like I wonder if she's one of these kids who came like your family invests all this money in getting you tutored and 
uh, to get you through this exam so you can get into like one of these top New York high schools because then you're set. The idea is that you get into like the college you want, you're, you're, you're good to go. And I was wondering if that was going to be something she touched on. But I also know that if you don't follow education news and things like that, that that might not mean much to you as like an average, an average reader. I don't know. I, th- I feel like it would mean something to you as a New Yorker, because not only has the, the regents and the specialized high schools and things like that, not only has it been all over the news and like all of the newspapers, but at least in my neighborhood, there's been posters up everywhere about the racism of ending testing based admissions to these, to, to these specialized schools. And then I'm sure in other places there's, there's, there's posters up about the racism of re- relying on testing where, where it's difficult to get tutoring to, to, to do well on the tests. And mm-hmm. like, it's been, it's been a lightning rod issue and in, in the city. And I, f- I feel like for, for a New York based thing, it might've been an, an interesting thing to, to integrate. But I think it's also wider than New York, so a wider audience of readership would still get it. Well, it would resonate here. It would certainly resonate here, but it would also resonate, I think, with a lot of places across the country that have charter schools and magnet schools that are specifically set up with admissions-based testing. And additionally... I just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast, uh, the Nice White Parents podcast, Mm. which just had an episode on the topic of charter schools and how these admissions practices are gatekeeping to keep out students of color and so forth. And that could have been an interesting conversation too. I think the education part would have resonated because like here, like, you know, we have sort of the same thing. There's Thomas Jefferson High School and you know, people start, people have their kids in tutoring starting like in second, third grade. And they, they tutor their kids for five, six years with the idea that they're going to like get into Thomas Jefferson high school or, and I know the same that thing. That can't be fun somewhere. as a kid. That can't no, be fun but as a kid. Like, you know, everyone comes, like all the articles that talk about it always come back to like, that culturally South Asians and East Asians are very much like, Hey, this is a sacrifice that you make to succeed. We expect it of you. We've invested in you. And the argument has always been on the other side, like you said, like in the other neighborhood where the poster will say, hey, those tests are, those tests are racist. It's because other people can't afford mm-hmm. to get that tutoring or you mm-hmm. can't get access to the tutoring. Maybe you could afford it. But like you yeah. said, there's some gatekeeping happening where like the tutoring classes are happening in Korean and English. So no, you yep. can't go. And yep. I think that would have been an interesting thing to delve into to flush out Queens because she's so thin. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you only have so much space in a book and that could be yeah. a whole, you could probably write a whole sci-fi novel on, on those things <laughs> in of itself. And I almost wanted the, the group to come across a group of people who were like warring, you know, potential avatars that like just didn't make it. Like what, like from, from Brooklyn, one, one avatar is East New York and one, one avatar is is Park Slope. Yeah. <laughs> or like I said, with the rap battle, I kept wanting there to be some kind of other thing. Where's the Beastie Boys avatar? Like, it's like you said, it's just so hard to think of like one one type of person to represent such a, you know, millions of people, millions of very diverse people. 
But I, wonder, one, I wonder whether we want too much from this book, though. It's a really hard thing to do. Well, it's A.K. Jemison. I feel like you, know, <laughs> you win three Hugos and we all want you to write like the best thing ever. So yeah, it, I probably want too much from this book. Coming out of, I read Broken Earth, like all of them. I thought they were great. And I was like, okay, I, this is going to be amazing, right? And, I, and it's not to say that it's a bad book per se. It's just that like, I, like my expectations were so high. To be fair, like in the foreword, she says this is the first book of this type that she's ever written and that she had difficulty with with writing a book about a place where she lives. And I feel like there's some honesty there. You know, I think that's natural that you would have a lot of difficulty specifically writing about a place where you live. And I think she is deliberately trying to incorporate as many cultural experiences as she can pack into this book. And I think that unfortunately makes it very difficult for her to do enough authentic research than to invest all of those characters with quite the portrayals that you would want. And that's unfortunate. But at the same time, I really enjoyed the villainy of this book. I mean, I really enjoyed the metaphor of the alien interdimensional race that's that's going to make the city soulless and gentrify New York City within the universe itself and time stratosphere. And I, I think that having everything playing out in terms of the Karen trope on a galactic level is kind of a very <laughs> interesting place to go with a sci-fi novel that I've never seen before. So... I enjoyed that quite a lot. I thought it was a fun book. Like all my gripes aside, I actually thought it was a very a fun book to read. I'm not quite finished with the book, so I, there there have been a couple spoilers, but I've enjoyed it so far. I, I I do think that sometimes the commentary becomes a little bit heavy, and and there should be showing and not telling. But it definitely has really good bones, and and I actually like the characters. I thought that they were well well constructed, despite maybe having too much, you know. Well, I mean, but you can't really have too much diversity. It's just that I think. No, I mean like too much. Try, trying to make the characters be too much. That's what I mean. Like they, in and of themselves, like they're like these like full cups of di- you know diversity, like sexually like ethnically and at that part I like they always just felt like okay wow you're pushing a lot but it's it's good this representation being there is good this is sort of how how much do you need and how how is it handled I think that was it really more for me is just like how it's handled and how it's portrayed I mean it can come up more at, organically you don't you don't need to be have the characters explaining it themselves you can just have you have situations that expose things about characters right yeah yeah yeah, exactly and i think we're all in agreement that we wish there had been more backstory about these characters that actually made it more organic as a process to reveal who they were in these diverse ways Um, like maybe it would have been good to have uh brooklyn we we don't know that she's a rapper until she gets into the rap battle and it turns out that she grew up that, that that when she was younger, she was a rapper, a famous rapper, right? 
But apparently, like, everyone just recognizes her. They just yeah. look at her and like, oh, hey, you're MC Free. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess I Which am. Which I'm not sure I buy because, like, people, the way that people look and sound changes a lot over time. So if you were, like, a rapper years and years and years ago, when you were very young and you haven't rapped since, like, are people really going to recognize you? And if they did, would they elect you councilwoman? Oh, no, I definitely think they would. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, one of the people I thought of, like, and this isn't, I, I was trying to figure out, like, who her, who her inspiration for MC Free was. And the first person I thought of was either, like, Queen Latifah or maybe mm. MC Light. And I don't know. I was thinking much- MC Light. First. Yeah, I was like, I wonder if this is because MC Light's from Brooklyn. I yeah. know Queen, I know Queen Latifah's from New York too. But I felt I was thinking like, is she talking about MC Light? And then I went and Googled MC Light. She's not in politics or anything like that. But that was my first thought. I was like, oh, she this is probably some kind of MC Light callback. Because MC Light had some some lyrics yeah. <laughs> back in the day that were like, you know, that went there kind of in the way that um, the Bronx calls out MC Free and says, hey, you know, you said these things and mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm not going to say that MC Light's lyrics were, like, but she had some explicit lyrics. Yeah. And, I mean, paving the way for, I guess, Cardi B and all those people. I mean, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed all of the probably fake outrage about, about WAP or WAP or whatever. <laughs> uh, song. I've I've really enjoyed the outrage. I I thought the song was okay, but the outrage is just excellent. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> so later on in the book, when they're they're trying to get to somewhere, I guess they're driving. I think they were trying to get to Staten Island, and they're driving around, and there's all the Starbucks. And I kept thinking, like, in this whole, like, city construct, yeah, a Starbucks in New York is a foreign thing that should, I guess, you know, as corny as it is, rightly sap the city of its power. But I almost wanted, to, you know, there to be some line about how every time the Starbucks, you know, a Starbucks is in New York or somewhere else in the world, Seattle gets stronger, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, because that's specifically a Seattle thing that's spread across the world. And I feel like there should be, like, this you know ley line that provides seattle with power everywhere every i like that idea do we think that there's going to be a uh city we became too or oh we know there is oh yeah this is part of a city's trilogy so is it going to be other other cities or is it going to be in i actually was not aware of this is it going to be other cities or is it going to be in new york or don't know interesting In the meantime, I want to thank you both so much for having a chat about this book. And uh, I I just love that we come at it from so many different angles and that you guys were able to provide so much insight about the boroughs of New York City, because I think that's an essential thing to kind of get the full flavor of this book. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Ride the Omnibus. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as at Omnibus Ride. If you liked the episode, take a minute to review us on iTunes or Podchaser. It means the world to us because it brings us to the world. Thank you.